0: God, in prayer, Father, thank you for your word read to us, and we pray that you will m- make those words reside in our hearts, and as we reflect on them, Father, we pray that they will do the work for which you sent them, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Generally, if we ask people on the streets, or we mention the term Good Samaritan, most will know that term. And if you ask what it meant, most will most likely tell you that it refers to someone who is kind, considerate, or helpful. That's how the uh, Chambers Dictionary also defines it many people may not know the origin of that term Good Samaritan but nevertheless they still know it they've heard it and maybe even they've used that term and there are organizations using the word Samaritan like for example the Samaritans uh, which is a helpline found in many countries uh, that when people are in trouble they can call that line and speak to someone who will help them and speak with them and perhaps even, to a certain extent, do counselling. In Malaysia, they're not called the Samaritans. I'm not sure why, they're called the Befrienders. But in other countries like Hong Kong, like uh, uh, the UK, they're called the Samaritans. In our series on the Gospel of Luke, on being disciples of the Spirit-filled Messiah, we continue now with this familiar parable of the Good Samaritan. Some commentators, a number of them, have looked at this parable and the text, the passages that follow, and they have seen that this is perhaps Luke's way of talking about a disciple's relationships. One, this parable uh, depicts or shows us a disciple's relationship with those around them. The second portion, which is uh, the portion of, on the story of Martha and Mary, that talks about a disciple's relationship with Jesus. The third portion in the beginning of chapter 11 verses 1 to 13 is about a disciple's relationship with God himself. And so let me ask us to keep this in mind as we go through these three passages over the course of these three weeks. In some of my earlier sermons on this series, I had mentioned that one of the major themes of Luke's gospel is a theme of those who should, who should know who Jesus is, who have the word of God and should know what it's all about don't, or they don't seem to. And those who shouldn't, those who are on the margins, those who are outside, they get it. They get who Jesus is. And so uh, in in one of his uh, chapters, Michael Card calls this the great reversal. And this parable is really the essence of this whole idea of the great reversal, those who should don't and those who shouldn't do. As with most parables, in, in Luke, there is always a situation that leads up to Jesus telling the parable. And in this case, a, an expert in the law, some people call him, some versions translate that uh, as lawyer. But essentially, these people who are well-versed in the law are theologians because the law is contained in the first five books of the Bible. He comes along and he wants to test Jesus. And so he asks Jesus what needs to be done in order to inherit eternal life. Jesus answers his question with another question. I don't know if you find that annoying, but I know I've done that and people find that annoying. But that's what you get with Jesus because he knows this expert, really knows the answer does know the answer, in fact. And so, he says to the lawyer, what does the law say? How do you read it? And it's obvious that he does know the answer because he answers readily enough. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. He takes this from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, and he adds to that, love your neighbor as yourself, from Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. The first part from Deuteronomy 6 is something that every Jewish person would know because they recite it every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And so some commentaries have looked at that word that Jesus says, how do you read it? And that word translated read can also mean recite. So how do you recite it? And it points to this, the Shema, uh, which is the first word, oh, hear, O Israel. And so Jesus, after hearing what the lawyer says, affirms the answer and tells him that this will bring life if he obeys them. Engaging with God's word is not just about understanding what it means, it is about living it out. And so Jesus says, do them and you will live. In other words, if you obey the commandments, you will find eternal life. But the expert in the law doesn't give up so readily. He still wants to test Jesus, and so he, wants, he asks Jesus another question, and I suspect at the end of it, he regrets he did. Luke tells us he wants to justify himself, and so uh, he asks Jesus, You know, we talk about loving neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Who should be my neighbor? At that time, the people interpreted that word that is translated neighbor. And it literally means someone who is near or someone with whom a person has something to do. And so the translation or the understanding of neighbor at that time is someone who is from the same religious community. In other words, the Jews. And for the Pharisees, if you look at the way they live and if you read some of the background to Pharisees, it tended to even exclude the ordinary people because they did not follow the law as scrupulously, as the Pharisees did. And so for the people there then, the neighbour was someone who is like-minded with them, someone not very different from them. And sometimes, or very often, we seem to define neighbour in a similar way in Malaysia. Someone who is very similar to myself. Someone... Uh, who is perhaps of the same ethnicity, someone who uh, is of the same faith. But I'm glad that we don't always confine ourselves to that. And so just as for the expert in the law, for those who think like him, the parable that Jesus told in reply to the expert, is directed as well to us. And those who take Jesus seriously on this parable will find themselves being taken by Jesus out from where they are, as they are to where he calls them to be, to what God has created him or her to be. And so I would like to look at Jesus' parable as one of movement, moving the expert in the law and those who hear the parable from where they are to where God has created them and calls them to be. From just doing something as an obligation to being something. The expert had a very narrow understanding of the law, and so limiting neighbor to people like himself and who behave and do certain things to get eternal life, like a kind of achievement thing. Jesus was moving him to see God's heart for people. Jesus was moving him to learn that it is not about performance, but it is about acts that come out from our heart. For that is what is a person. Who we are comes from our heart. And so we want to move from doing to being. The, the expert in the law, if you read verse 25, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's so easy to have a checklist of things to do, to tick off. I have been kind to my neighbor who didn't have food. I bought food for her. I have donated to this home who is short of funds. Tick. I have uh, reached out to the beggar and given him some money for food. Tick. And for the expert in the law, these were things that he thought he could do and therefore achieve eternal life. That's because all these things are so tangible, you see. So easy to see I have done this. Tick. But that's not what eternal life is about. That's not what life in the kingdom is about. Jesus, if we look at John chapter 17, where Jesus prays uh, in the upper room that final night with his disciples, he has uh, taught them quite a bit of things, he has shared his heart with them, left final instructions for them, and then he prays, chapter 17, And in his prayer, he says that eternal life is knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom God sent. Eternal life is relationship. Eternal life is not something to achieve. It's not about simply carrying out actions for the sake of doing them or a performance. You know, lately, when I switch on the TV, what has been coming on is Asia got talent. You do something, and if you're good, uh, they press the button and they say, okay, you go on to the semifinals or you go on to the finals, and then, there is this thing called the golden buzzer. When they're so impressed with you, you press that, you get an automatic entry into the next level or the finals or something like that. Eternal life is not like that. Eternal life is about our relationship with God. And the parable of the Good Samaritan ultimately is not about what we do but it is about who we are. And we are neighbours to those who need mercy. We are neighbours who reach out to help all who are in need. That's who we are called to be, among other things. Of course, first we are called to be sons, and daughters of God. And because we are sons and daughters of God, we then become neighbors who are merciful and compassionate. That is how God created things. Our actions come out of who we are. And if you don't believe me, the next time we act, you act without thinking. Look back through the day, when you find yourself acting without thinking, that has come out of who we are in our hearts. And if our hearts are with God, if our hearts have been transformed by God, then the ministry and the work that we do out of that heart will be sustained. If we act or we do out of obligation, or simply for the sake of doing it, or because it is what everyone else is doing, that work will not be sustainable. We will not be able to do acts of kindness and compassion and be helpful to our neighbors in the long term, because that's not who we are if it doesn't come from the heart. If it doesn't come from the heart, then we we will only see extending mercies as actions to be carried out as and when convenient to us. And that's most likely how the priest and the Levite saw that situation. And that is probably the reason why they crossed over to the other side of the road and did not stop to help. some commentators have looked at this and said, okay, they're priests and they're Levites. They may be on the way to Jerusalem. And in the Jewish law, when you touch a dead body, you become unclean. The man was so wounded, he must have been lying there. You don't know whether he's dead or alive. And if they stoop to help and he's dead, they are unclean. And they cannot perform their duties in the temple. That is one reason. For them, for the priests, for the Levite, that was much more important. They identified themselves as people who are pure out to serve God through the sacrificial system, yeah which means in the temple and so on. but they forget or they forgot that God calls his people to be neighbors and to show mercy. That's what God said in the Old Testament. And Jesus says as much to the Pharisees, if you remember, they grumbled and complained when they saw Jesus sitting at the table with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus said, you know, God desires mercy, not sacrifice. Matthew was the one who recorded this because it was at his home a tax collector's home that Jesus was sitting and the Pharisees grumbled. Jesus said it a second time to Pharisees when they got worked up with his disciples plucking grain and eating it on a Sabbath. And again, Jesus said, if you understand what I mean by I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not judge those who are guiltless. And so you and I are called into this identity as well, neighbor, not people who carry out acts of mercy at our convenience. When we know ourselves to be a neighbor, when we become people who naturally show compassion, then we will do what needs to be done without feeling that it is inconvenient, even if other people say, wow, that must inconvenient to you. But it would not feel to be an inconvenience to those who have a heart of compassion. I remember my father telling me about his predecessor as principal in Methodist Boys School, K.L., soft-spoken man, who could be very strict, but cared so much for the students, that in the words of my dad, he went out of his way to help many of them. Whether my dad realized it or not, he himself did the same thing, and I suspect uh, his predecessor's practices and who his predecessor was kind of rubbed off over the years they had spent together as colleagues. And so when we look at the expert in the law's definition of neighbor, it was narrow, it was external. Those with whom I have something to do, those who are like-minded with me, those who think the same way I do, act in the same manner, maybe even dressing in the same ways, which are similar to how he dressed. But as one commentator wrote, one cannot define one's neighbor. One can only be a neighbor. You can't point to that, that's my neighbor, that's not my neighbor, that's my neighbor, that's my neighbor. That's my neighbor. You, you can't do that. The only thing you that, that is within your control is. You be a neighbor yourself. And so if being a neighbor is about showing mercy to whoever needs mercy, then the expert in the law needs or has to move from being exclusive, this is my neighbor and these are my buddies, to being inclusive. It is... Very easy to interact only with people who are like minded. Interacting with people who are different from us can be tiring. It calls us to pay more attention. It calls us to become more aware. It calls us not to take things for granted. It calls us to break down the walls we built between us. And those who are different from us. It makes us believe. If we are being exclusive, it then makes us believe that we are in the in crowd while others are in the out crowd. And if so, we don't need to care about them. But when we look at the Samaritan, he did not stop to consider that the man who got beaten up was a Jew. We take for granted because Jesus was telling the story to a Jewish audience. And so, uh, by default, the man who got beaten up was a Jew. Because the Samaritan was a neighbor, and because the heart of a neighbor is compassionate, is merciful, he stopped. And it's risky stopping. That's possibly also another reason why the priest and the Levite didn't stop. Because if they stop, you see that road leading down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem is on a mountain, right? Mount Zion, they say. And to get down to Jericho on the plains, you have to come down a road that winds its way through the mountains and is treacherous. Plenty of crags, nooks, crannies, corners where brigands, robbers, thieves can hide and jump on you. And so it was risky stopping because you don't know whether there were still any robbers lurking around. But the Samaritan stopped, dressed the man's wounds, carried him, put him on his donkey, took him to an inn. It did not stop there. He probably stayed the night with the man and the next day he had to go continue on his business. But he told the innkeeper, look, uh, please take care of him. You may need to dress his wounds again and all that, change the bandages and if you incur more charges than what I'm giving you now. I will pay you back when I come this way again. The thing is, we've heard this parable many times for most of us. And there's no shock value to it. But in that day, the moment Jesus said, Samaritan it's like, you know how a dog, when a dog gets angry, the heckles stand up at the back. For the Jews, it was like that. When you hear Samaritan, it was a taboo thing because they were that hostile to each other. The Samaritans would react the same way to the Jews as well. And so when Jesus said, a Samaritan stopped to help a Jew, it was a stunner. It was as if, a mudram had stopped to help a Chinese lady. So you can imagine what cannot get in into their brains. But Jesus told them this parable in this way, to show that when you are a neighbor, there are no barriers. And if you look at the end, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus said a Samaritan mentioned the ethnicity. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even bring himself to say that word, the Samaritan. John 3.16 tells us God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him, some versions say so that whosoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. God is inclusive, whoever, everyone. It's not that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and so on did not want people to come to God. In fact, they were very earnest about people wanting to come to their Lord. But the thing was that they were exclusive in that you had to conform to their way of thinking, you had to follow every bit of the law before you would be accepted. Jesus showed them differently. He sat with the sinners and ate with them, sat with the tax collectors, and in that culture, in the Middle East culture, when you sit with someone for a meal, it means you are accepting the person and welcoming them. Some people have read or seen that when Jesus was on the cross and his arms are outstretched, he is calling people to come It is to embrace the world. Last Thursday, on the Malaysian Digest, it's an online news portal. It had this article with a title, Kind Chinese Doctor Who Stopped to Help Mud Rumpit in Accident at Karat Highway Goes Viral. Just now I used the idea of a mud rumpit stopping to help a Chinese lady, but in this news story, which actually happened, it's the other way round. A female Chinese doctor has shown that race and religion is no barrier to goodwill, after pictures of her helping a Malay motorcyclist who was involved in an accident went viral last Monday. In a Facebook posting by Muhammad Aizuddin, he shared how the doctor stopped by the road to help them as she noticed that the victim is badly injured. The injured person was this man's friend. According to media reports, the doctor pulled, her car, o- pulled over her car after seeing the accident at the Kuala Lumpur Karak Highway near Genting Sampala last Sunday. She immediately checked the injured motorcyclist's pulse and breathing. The self-confessed mat rempit explained he knew she was a doctor as she had brought along her medical equipment and even knew how to set his broken arm in position. You can read it for yourself online. Just type the title. You know, incidents like this make headlines because they are rare. Not as rare because it happens and Some of these things happen really quietly, no one knows. But the thing is this, our nation is so divided, us against them, this group against another, so much so when racial or religious barriers are crossed, people are stunned. People make this go viral because wow. You know, at the end of the day, when you think about it years and years ago, when many of us were much younger, perhaps some of you remember those times, these things occurred without a second thought. It was nothing unusual. It was normal. Showing mercy and being compassionate does not have space for exclusivity. In an inclusive society, something like that would have been the norm. And so, my friends, we live in a society that is focused on looking at things that people do and judging that. We live in a culture that shouts exclusivity, whether it is out of fear, out of the need to be protective, to guard territory, or whatever it is. The parable of the Good Samaritan calls us instead to be neighbor to show compassion and mercy in the same way that God has shown compassion and mercy to us. And if we are following Jesus, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus and disciples of Jesus, then we must move from showing compassion as simply something to be done out of obligation or something on an achievement list to becoming a neighbor if we are going to follow Jesus then we must learn to be inclusive rather than exclusive what will it take to change our understanding of ourselves so we move from one to the other what prejudices would you and I have to overcome to make this kind of stopping and helping someone, something that occurs without a second thought. I'm saying this to myself as much as to you because I have mental blocks as well to overcome in order to become a neighbor. Let us pray.